Today, continuing the Slipknot discography review. This is the third and final installment. In some ways, I wish that it went in reverse, um, because I, I, well, it'll be clear after this section of how I feel like the trajectory has went for Slipknot with their albums and how much I like certain eras, and it'd be nice to finish off strong, but there's some foreshadowing there. Um, so, you know, six albums that we're, that we're using, um, three sections, you do the math on, <laughs> on that. Uh, so we're talking about the great chapter today, and we are not your kind. Uh, rumors are, by the way, they're working on a new album right now, uh, which makes sense for the timeline, and working on something could be, you know, th this could be the beginning of a two or three year process, who knows. But anyway, let's get into it. Things need to be said to set the groundwork right now for the great chapter. Because for four consecutive albums, we had the same nine members. It's hard enough to keep a group of four or five together um, at times. And having a group of nine was like this big thing that they had talked about on um, a little bit on, on uh, All Hope is Gone, but also on Volume 3, the subliminal verses, and just kind of touting themselves as we're here to stay, and we're invincible, and we will never die, and you can't kill us, and all the other ways that, that Corey worded their being of just, we are, we are, I don't want to say superhuman, it just, it just crossed the line for me, obviously. Um, but the thing is that it was of some importance, even to them, that the same nine members were the same nine members, right? For as much as we can know, because I forget his number now, but not Sid, but like the programmer, like other mixed board dude, I don't even know his official like thing, like, cause it's not an instrument he's playing and like Sid, I think his title is DJ and other dude, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember anybody's number right now, uh, other than Mick, who's seven, I'm pretty damn sure. Anyway, uh, I mean, yeah, I was, as I was saying, that dude, the space helmet dude with the nails coming out, at least on the first couple albums, it could be a different dude every album, we would have no way of knowing. Um, but the, the, the point I'm getting to here is, yes, it was very important that they were this unit that was this indestructible, invincible, other than human unit and i think that played really well especially on the first two albums and then when they started breaking the fourth wall and saying it out loud very directly i i didn't play very well for me but here's the thing the gray chapter the fifth album we have two members lost and one of them is um joey jordison so we've got a drummer like the main percussionist out of the three percussionists gone and in speaking about inhuman i mean an amazing spectacular drummer um who is a huge i feel like he helped define slipknot sound not just because his contribution to the songwriting process along with clown and um and cory but it's just his drumming was something that was like oh this is a slipknot song or like it just it led to the style and, and sometimes you get a band and like there might be one instrument in there, they're like, okay, that's just whatever, and it's really someone else helping to find the style, and obviously Slipknot is an amazing band, uh, with great players, but he was 
one of the key components, I believe, that helped define them uh, and stand apart from other bands. I mean, them being nine people helped them stand apart because those nine people did things, whether it just be for the live show or whatever, they all contributed uh, in a way that, that seemed to justify nine people being there. Um, but I mean, even if it was four people or three people, you would still rely on Joey to, you know, to really be that good and help define the style. He's gone. Uh, friggin' to this day, and this is years later, I don't know how much information has been put out there because the beginning, it was all the speculation, there was back and forth. There wasn't anything very clear about his departure. He felt like he had been wronged by the group. Um, and that he didn't want to leave, and other people were saying that he quit. So I'm still not 100% sure, and he never came back. Um, however, this is called the Gray Chapter, because of Paul Gray. Um, another major songwriter for the group, um, the bassist, and he helped contribute a lot of... What, what, what the members that have spoke on it like Corey and uh, Sean and I think Joey even as well had spoke on the matter of his death said was that he was the spirit of Slipknot that from day one he was 100% all in all the time he lived and breathed you know the, the group and like the spirit of them and what they were doing and was just a huge contributor to everything and um, yeah he again his death I, the, the, how it happened doesn't really, I don't think, play into this review. Um, but there's some speculation there, too. And it seems that it may have been purposeful. Um, so that's going to set the tone. But that, that is a good segue. Because that, 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 just that context for this album is important. Because I will tell you right now, this is the most inconsistent Slipknot album out of the six there is in quality, in songwriting, um, it is a mess. There are shining moments, but when you think of the first two albums, a shining moment, or even the, even album three and four, like shining moments um, are still, there's always gonna be songs you like more or songs that are objectively better, and therefore they pick them as singles, because even they think, like, what do we pick? Like, it, it is, it's really difficult for any band to get 10 songs or 14 songs or whatever that are all the same quality, 100% same quality, right? Um, but this thing is like, if we were like in the first two albums where we got songs that are at 80% quality and then the shining moments are 100% quality, this album is like, we're at a average of like 50 or 40% quality and the shining moment is like 60% quality. So, uh, that's saying a lot right there. But again, segue into the intro, setting a tone, setting a mood. We've got context for kind of um, this album. There, there's an outside context that usually we don't get. Being like, oh, these members pieced out, and that is going to have a huge effect of this on this album. Um, so, I should have looked up what the Roman numerals for the number is. X-I-X. -X. I don't know what that would be. I'm not going to figure it out right now, and I should have done it earlier. So the intro track, it, it does set a somber mood. Um, as far as their intros have gone on three and four, like talking about in the past with vocals, once they add vocals in and it turns into like a full-blown song, 
Uh, it just didn't really seem to be working very well for me. Uh, but this is a good intro with vocals. Uh, it's not too long. It's not a full-blown song. There are, you know, Corey's got lyrics on there. And it does set a good, somber, serious tone for this album. Um, that's really all I have to say about it. Um, I, I think that that was a good start. But then we get Sarcastrophe, which is how I'm pronouncing it. This begins the inconsistency. Because I don't really feel like going from the intro to this song was... It just obviously, they pick their track listing based on the, what they feel is strong, and I disagree with this. Uh, so the lyrics are really half poetic. We get some good writing, but they're half really, really lame. Um, example, we are kill gods. That sentence in and of itself is just, what are you doing, Corey? What, is that, what does that mean? We've talked before about how he can slip into accessible and basic, but sometimes, like, accessible doesn't have to be poor writing. And for some, sometimes for him, it is. And this is an example of that. We Are Kill Gods is, is just one weird, awkward line. Uh, live long and die for me. Like, I don't know. There, there's things that just seem juvenile about the writing on this track. The title of the track, even, for some reason, rubs me the wrong way. Uh... Only in the context of the rest of the song. That, that title by in and of itself doesn't rub me the wrong way. It's the title along with everything else. Um, it's just dumb. It just sounds dumb. Uh, it's very... It, it's less than mediocre for Slipknot. And that's the thing. Slipknot has a certain standard. Their own standard and then the standard that we individually apply to them. So there's millions of standards, right? But... To say this is less than mediocre for them means that, like, it's not the worst song that they've put out, in my opinion. It's not the worst song on the album, either. But it's a little less than mediocre, and mediocre for them would be bad enough. Um, there are, you know, on the first two albums, I can't think of songs that are mediocre in the context of, like, metal and hard music, you know, heavy music. Um... Yeah, and I only want to judge Slipknot by Slipknot standards, but that's really difficult. Anyway, AOV, uh, Approaching Original Violence. I feel like if they just got rid of Sarcastery, put this in there instead, it would have been at least kind of a... It wouldn't have made sense with like going from like this somber intro to like such an aggressive song, but at least it would have been a strong song out of the gate. Um, We've talked about intros a lot, and they use intros, and that's why I want to talk about them, because they're important. Like, don't put something on the, on the album if you don't believe in it, if it doesn't make sense, etc. Well, the first two intros made a lot of sense. It seemed to set a tone that was, that was accurate uh, for the album, and then, you know, uh, Volume 3 and All Hope is Gone, it kind of started missing the mark. And here, it sets a tone for the album, but then you, the next track in there doesn't really, it doesn't really flow well. Uh, I would just take Sarcastrophe out anyway. But anyway, AOV, Approaching Original Violence. The title, again, and the lyric is kind of awkward and weird and lame to me. Approaching Original Violence. What does that mean? Um, not to say that because I don't understand it automatically it's dumb. It's that I have sat with the album a while and listened to it multiple times over the couple years. And like, okay, it's just like some words thrown together that seem to be purposeful but don't really mean anything to me. 
so I don't really feel like it's accomplishing its goal in that aspect. However, I'm just one person. Um, the song's a banger, though. The song is one of the shining moments, I think, on the album. Uh, it's aggressive. It, it's got this, this pounding, uh, great pace to it as well. Uh, the soaring chorus still keeps the same... Like... The soaring chorus has been something that I've brought up the past two albums, especially on All Hope Is Gone, that sometimes became disruptive. It was like, where did that come from? It's like, you're just telling us Corey can sing, we already know that. But the way that they work the drumming in to just continue this like rapid fire pace uh, through that, and then having the guitars kind of like scale back a bit and let the singing come through, but not like, not on a really obvious, um, uncomfortable or awkward way it just seems like a natural progression and and the cleans do good for the track whereas sometimes i don't believe they do it's one of slipknot's biggest issues i feel after the first two albums is figuring out how to put their cleans in in a way that's non-disruptive and and natural that's how i would word that um yeah yeah, it just the, the drumming in there keeps it moving, and it just it makes everything fit really nice. But this is one of the bangers on the album. It's just like really a solid, strong Slipknot song. Uh, after that, the Devil and I. So again, we we keep up some quality here, which is really nice. Um, we got a strong intro that I feel like slows down appropriately uh, for the somber lyrics to come through. Again, it's some some more poetics, which is nice. Um, I feel in this song a real genuine sadness. If you haven't listened to the other reviews, you should listen to them because this uh, it makes it, it would just make more sense. Because I feel like Slipknot had had a problem for some of the albums uh, consistently being not super sincere or not being able to get that across in a way that I felt that they were being genuine. Um, so I feel I feel that on the Devil and I, um, and it transitions, you know, into a very um, great delivery for the chorus again as well, which is nice to see. Uh, I feel like this is a strong example of how they should be carrying a serious tone. Serious in a somber and sad way. Also, there's some aggression here too. It just seems like we're taking a lot of Slipknot elements and um, combining them in a way that is still very strong. In the past, Slipknot had been able to take those elements separately, whether it be really slow and dark and whatever, and still, like, I don't, I don't want to explain the whole reviews and other parts of the reviews, um, but this is a great way that they've combined these elements in to still have a very strong song. Uh, Kill Pop. This is like an updated Vermilion. I do not like it. Um, it's, I can listen to it, because it has a certain catchiness to it. Ironically, it has the pop is in the name and kill pop just sounds weird because that's not what they're doing with this song um so they've got some of the things going on uh with the title and playing with that lyrically and how that might play into how someone reads the song um but like i i said it's like an updated vermilion um it's strong and in the way that they want it to be i guess um, it's sadness that's balanced kind of well. Um, I feel it. I don't feel creepy at all like I did with Vermilion, but with Vermilion it sounded kind of forced. Um, it's a bit dark, but again, it's kind of like in this weird poppy way. Uh, the solo feels really out of place for me, so that can just get chucked. 
Uh, the lyrics are also a bit basic. We start to get into some cringy territory here. Um, I think Vermilion is almost... I, I feel like Vermilion is a stronger song in and of itself. Uh, I'll throw Vermilion Part 2 right out the window. But I think that with that song, what they wanted to do with it, it made a lot of sense and the songwriting was great. There's a lot of other reasons that I've talked about why it's not. I don't like it. But when you compare it to something like Kill Pop, it's like, I just feel like you're resurrecting Vermilion, but in a different direction that's more poppy, less creepy, less dark, less poetic, but still trying to make it this sad song and, and some of the lyrics are reflective. And um, it just doesn't, doesn't do well for me. Skeptic. This is where things really fall apart. Um, you know, this album in its entirety, in a way, is a tribute to Paul Gray. But this song especially is a tribute to Paul Gray. And it is absolutely horrendous. It is the, I, I think, I think, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. I think it is the cringiest song on the album, which is not good, obviously, for the fact that they wanted this to be a tribute. Um, lyrics. Lyrically, delivery-wise, I mean... The song as a whole, without any lyrics or, or vocal patterning at all, uh, no vocals, it would be a very, again, mediocre Slipknot song. So already we're not starting off on, on a good foot. But lyrically, and again, the vocal delivery is at sometimes childish, um, but especially the lyrics. The world will never know a crazy motherfucker like you. And then... What's the next line? This world will never know another man as amazing as you. I just, like, again, the chorus feels lazy. The lyrics are not strong whatsoever. They cut into the basic so much and just pull out of the well of mediocrity, which is something that I feel Slipknot set a precedent for not doing on the first two albums, that that we are exceptional even in our pain and we are strong because of our pain whereas this is you know reaching it reaching farther down than they've ever reached to be basic and accessible and la it's lazy i think this might be the first time i've said that slipknot was lazy i can't remember but it's lazy i don't dig it at all it's just not, it's just not good. Uh, it's really bad, really bad. Um, they continue on too with some other lyrics. I can't let you disappear. I'll keep your soul alive if I can't have you here. Okay, well, it's really contradictory when you make an album that is not good. Um, I feel like they have never admitted that the album is not good. Uh, which we'll kind of get into more later, but nothing I have seen, and I haven't scoured the internet for every article, interview, anything ever, but I mean, most people that have sp spoken about the album have been Corey and, and Clown, um, and they have talked about it, and it being, you know, this this thing that, that they worked through together to mourn Paul Gray and to cope with that and they felt they made this really really strong album and I don't think they ever pulled away from it. There's a lot of stuff on here that's not very typical of Slipknot and experimentation is not a bad thing which again we're going to come back to later but 
this song is, I don't feel like it's experimenting at all. Unless you want to say it's experimenting with a formula that everyone else under the sun has already done. And this, like, it's not, it's just not good. And the lyrics are so cringy. Um, it doesn't feel heartfelt. But the lyrics are, in the most basic way, saying, Hey, I'm really heartfelt, and I'm very sad about this, and you're an amazing person. And it's like, man, I can't, I don't know Paul Gray. I never have. I've never met him. I don't have a relationship with, like, any of these people. Obviously, they do. And I'm not going to say that their pain is not valid or not sincere, because I'm very sure it is. But I don't. I don't know if they felt pressure to make an album when they weren't ready. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm wrapping things up before half the album is done. But I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what caused this. Because if you're not ready, you're not ready. And at this point, you'd think Slipknot would have some control over their product with their label and the relationship they would have with them. And also the circumstances around the album with new members and a death and founding members leaving and whatever or just not there. And it's like, so this just shouldn't have happened. And like I said, it feels like they backed it up the whole time, being like, no, this is the album we wanted. And if so, I feel like it's a very poor tribute to Paul Gray. And that's unfortunate. I, I know that I'm going to get like really thrown under the mob. I'm going to get very uh, flamed, probably, for saying that, but that's how I feel. Lech. At the very beginning, it's, you know, Corey the screaming... I know why Judas wept, motherfucker. If he didn't add the motherfucker, it would... I, I would like it a lot better because the way just the... I don't know, just that word in this context or almost any context is childish and immature to me for some reason. Just rubs me the wrong way. And like you just could have said, I know why Judas wept. Screamed it in the exact same cadence and it would have been really strong. So we come out of the gate with this song that... Like, it gets me, there's like a, a primal, like, weird, like, limbiscity part of me that's like, hell yeah! And I get, like, jazzed up. It's also the same part of me that would be, like, this is, like, if the rest of the song sounded like this, like, what it's priming you for when it comes in with those riffs and stuff, right after Corey screams that, it'd be meant for a football, American football, like, locker room pre-game song or, like, a frat party uh, they would find it enjoyable as some like real hardcore song um and there's a part of me that could enjoy that uh but then it goes way off that tone just way out um it switches back and forth between like you know the great pummeling um riffs and drumming and like these really nice nice buzzsaw guitars <laughs> um but then it goes to like really stock riffs that are not great and goes to some more like anxious riffs that we saw on All Hope Is Gone. But at this point, those are almost stock. It's like resurrecting something you've already done so much, which fit the tone of that other album because it was there a lot. And here it came back like once just for this. Um, then it slows down and it could be perceived as dark. But this whole song is schizophrenic in a really bad way. I think there is a time and place for obviously being off the rails and all over the place and spastic if that is your style or if that is what the song calls for and it's still complete and whole and gets a message across, uh, a consistent one. But this this does not. 
Uh, Corey's direction here, I feel like, is lost. Like, his vocal patterning is out to lunch. The instrumentation of the whole thing, like, the structure of this song. This is an example of this whole album being poor songwriting. Um, again, we've got shining moments, but when they try to do something that is outside of a pop structure, it completely seems to fall apart here. Whereas other times they could be outside of that structure and it would be a shining moment of how you can work outside that structure, be experimental, have your own style, do something that defines you as a band, and be more than one thing, and it was strong. So anyway, Lech, uh, all over the place, no good. Goodbye. Poor me, pity party. Um, it's... I feel like they're going back to some of the things that they did on, on Volume 3. You know, um, breaking the fourth wall, nothing's gonna stop us, we're the nine. You know, Corey saying it's really hard to see the fans. And this is like a song of mourning and how he doesn't want to say goodbye, doesn't want things to end either as a group um, or, you know, partly say goodbye to Paul Gray and doesn't know what's necessarily going to happen. Uh, it's just, I don't know. Breaking the fourth wall in this way is really what bothers me because you can talk about your feelings, obviously, being sad. And it's perfectly genuine and valid to do that. And you can do it in a very strong way. And I think that he's done that before. And the band has accomplished that with um, excellence before. But this feels like a pity party. It doesn't sound good. Lyrically, it's shallow. Um, and again, reaching into the well of dirty, basic, just slew water. Uh, it's, you know, there's this attempt to unite everyone in sorrow. But it seems so obvious that it takes away a lot, I feel, from any sincerity that there could be. Um, the next track is Nomadic. Uh, it's a good song. It's not super excessively poppy. Uh, it's kind of run-of-the-mill, I feel, for this new era of, of Slipknot, or just like a bridge from All Hope Is Gone to here. Um, the lyrics kind of border on me questioning its sincerity, but I mean, overall, I guess it's a good song. Um, the one that kills the least, it's a little less than me, a little less than mediocre, but not horrible enough for me to have all these pointed reasons to why. It's kind of just whatever. Custer. So this is one of my favorite songs in the album. I feel it's a super strong song. It's a banger. It is a barn burner just all the way through. And at the very beginning, it's like funny, which is the first time that I can think of where I was like, oh, they had like a funny like. Um, candid moment that started off a song where Clown is like basically saying like hey this is what I and this has happened on other albums with other groups before but I've never seen Slipknot do it or heard them do it and it was like I don't I didn't mind it like if this was on one of the first two albums I would have been like that's really weird but um, you know Clown is like yeah you know if it goes like da -da 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 like he's just like giving them the patterning for like the song or like the rhythm of it and then and then it starts into that and it's really strong again it's it's just a really great song there's some super weird trumpet sounds like trumpety like siren type things i don't know it's like if an elephant stepped on a 
bicycle horn that fed into a long tube that went into a trumpet and died. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Um, but it's like this weird trumpety siren wailing thing in the chorus that really works. Again, experimenting with some different sounds here and it, it just, it works, it goes along. Um, lyrics here that are strong for the first time that I'm expressing that I really like. Uh, Last Man Standing Gets No Pity. I really like that. Uh, the chorus is a little bit basic, but it's still strong. It still works. But the bridge afterwards is hella strong. Hella heavy. Friggin' great. Uh, great song. My favorite song off the album. Um, after that, we get the negative one. So it seems like we've got some clusters here of like, hey, here's a couple good songs close to the beginning, and then pfft, it just falls apart. And then it's like, hey, we're coming back. We got we got some more good songs here. It didn't. It's not all just crap after you know the first. I guess the fourth track or third. Um, the negative one. Again, it's a banger. It's good. I feel like they, this is like a standard of like, hey, this is a really good song. Uh, I talked a lot about the songwriting and the great songwriting that was on All Hope Is Gone. And I feel like this is another good example of, of that. Um, obviously along with the other ones that I've mentioned here too. Um, but then we get If It's Rain That You Want. It's like somber pop Slipknot, which is not what Slipknot does well, or I guess they're doing it, so they're doing it well, but it's not, I mean, it's not a good thing. Like them doing this or this being like a style or even a label I could attach to them, I don't, I don't know, it's not a, a positive one. Um, it just seems unnecessary and not done super well for like this nice, it's supposed to be like the slow, somber song, and it, it again, is got too much pop sensibility, which I feel, takes away from Slipknot being Slipknot in this aspect, and therefore takes away from the sincerity of what they could be saying. Um, override. Uh, slows the tempo down even more. Yeah. Chorus is a bit cringe. Um, I, I, it's really difficult for me to like figure out how to word what is it about this song that I'm not connecting with. Um, and that's part of the problem. What are we supposed to get from this? Um, the soft parts are awkward. Um, and it's really interrupting the flow of the song. And I don't know what the song is trying to express, even instrumentally. It's not as spastic and like schizophrenic as, uh, you know, Lech. Um, it's in a different tone, but the tone's just not working. Um, the last song, last song here, The Burden. Uh, as far as the tone of this song goes, it feels like a good ender. Um, like the musical tone. But then lyrically, we're getting this thing again of like a pity party, like telling me that you've suffered enough or we've all suffered enough, whether it be the, the band, you personally, or the people alive in the world or whatever is different than asking. Telling me that you've suffered enough is different than asking, how haven't we suffered enough? For some reason, that distinction is really important to me. Um, because Corey voicing, we've suffered enough, just sounds like he's crying in the corner for attention. Um, it brings back that pity party feel, and I feel it's almost incredibly contradictory of Slipknot's strength, which is being proud to suffer, 
being proud to carry your pain and process it and be a stronger person because of it. I don't know if they would ever argue that there wasn't that that, that wasn't their message with their music, at least at one time. But this is why I think they would still, in this album cycle, say that's what they're all about. Yet the song is one of many examples where I don't feel they're doing that. Um, this really, to me, exemplifies the weakness of, of Slipknot in multiple ways. Um, and this is the last song, one of the weakest ones on the album, on one of on the weakest album that they have offered to date. There are no anthems on this thing. I can't think of a song here that feels like an anthem. Not even just like a bad anthem, just no anthem. There's singles, but we've talked about that word anthem from the first album, and for four albums that came up in various different ways, and I realized as I was looking at this that I was like, there's no anthem here. This is, there's just nothing. It's just not a good album. Uh, it's incredibly inconsistent, like I said. It feels very weak, and not, not in a, you can be weak, like you can express weakness and pain and still find strength in that, which I'm sure that they, uh, they know that, they've done that before. But this is lyrically weak, shallow, basic, um, too poppy and accessible at times in a weird, awkward way for them. Uh, it just is so all over the place. Um, it, it goes from one of the best albums that they have in terms of great songwriting that they've evolved to this place to complete utter dysfunction and not in a way of expressing dysfunction in a in a positive way or in a strong way uh things just fell apart here for them and i'm going to move on to we are not your kind the last album they put out so we start with the intro insert coin really lame title super lame for i think anyone to do and the fact that other bands have done it, other bands within the genre of metal and heavy music, even new metal-y, I'm thinking about a mirror right now, but like, um, just a weird title, and I don't even know how it seems to fit with the intro. But the intro uh, sets a tone. I mean, I'm assuming Sid is the main proponent of this intro and organizing it and executing it. Uh, it gets kind of like weird digital stuttery, effects going on and I'm like okay I don't have no idea what this like insert coin is just like let's play a game like I, I, you know it recalls arcades and has a retro feel just by the title alone um it's weird to to title it uh that I feel but uh anyway it it does set a certain tone but it is like the weakest tone ever um it sets a tone for some of the effects that they put on the album some of the effects and different experimentation. But it doesn't set a tone for what the album is supposed to feel like, where I feel like they tried to do that on every other album, and this one was like, hey, let's just do something a little fun here and just kind of like throw it in there. It's just like, just a little soundscape. It, it, that seems weird to me. Um, but then from there we go into Unsainted. Um, the choir vocals that's like are there, very new, again, experimental. I feel like it works. Um, there's nothing wrong with experimenting and evolving and trying new things and whatever. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with it when it works and when it doesn't work, uh, you know. But as a 
standard of a professional musician as a band that has put out five full-length like label albums before um experimenting needs to work like having false steps is something that you do before the album is released i mean you some people come into the studio with 20 songs or more or how many song structures and you pare them down and you figure out what works and what doesn't work and you spend months to years and Yes, people make missteps, and sometimes they admit those missteps because they're experimenting one too far, but this is, I feel like, the standard and job of a professional band or artist of any kind. Uh, this works. This is a great example of experimentation and new stuff for Slipknot. Um, these choir vocals are great. Uh, it's a very driving and, and a very well-paced track. Um, these thick grooves and great drumming that happens. Um, and, and again, it lets Corey... Just kill the chorus of this thing. Uh, clean vocals coming out very, very strong and not like whiny or weak in any way. Um, it feels very heartfelt as well. I feel the sincerity from it. Um, the post-chorus bridge too, again, something Slipknot does very well. And here they are continuing to do it well again. Great songwriting again. I feel we've got the standard of All Hope Is Gone coming in strong right out of the gate for uh, We Are Not Your Kind. Going to Birth of the Cruel, uh, monster of a song. Great freaking song again, great aggression. We've got this digital fuzz effect thing that is like coming from you know the intro a bit, um, recalling that, that these effects, these like little digital stuttery things are, are um, something they're gonna play with on this album and I think they play with it very well. Um, older albums where things were more stripped down the, that worked. There was a rawness that really worked. And when they played with digital uh, type of effects there, it was like in a... It, it was, even of the time, it was meant to, I feel, sound retro-y or raw and whatever. Like, I don't... Disruptive in a good way. And here it seems to be sounding... It's like a cleaner effect that is more representative of futureness rather than retro raw stuff. This is cleaner, more polished, and purposeful. This was purposeful too, but they're on opposite sides of the spectrum, but they both freaking work. So again, examples of how evolution with a band and experimenting and pushing yourself obviously can work. I'm not just stuck on these two albums from the past because they were the first ones or whatever. There's a lot, again, that I've said about that already. But uh, I just want to give them their, you know, due diligence, or do my due diligence to give them their, um, what am I trying to say? Their, their props. I can't think of the word. Um, yeah. Uh, so in this new age, these elements, these nice little touches of um, some sound effects and, and layered uh, noises that weren't necessarily present on other albums as much, uh, or in this way, they, they really add to the album and they're nice. So again, we start off really strong and then we get Death Because of Death. Just a weird little interlude, not a fan of it. The vocal chanting on it to me is a little weird, uh, awkward. We could really do without this track. I don't feel like it's adding anything. Just take it right out. Don't have an interlude at all. Just doesn't seem to, it just interrupts the flow for me of, of the album. I know that there's this weird like carnival-esque type feel to the album at times um 
And I think this was maybe trying to keep up that momentum, but it, it just doesn't. It falls flat for me. Uh, Nero Forte or Nero Fort or what? I don't know how to... I should have looked up the pronunciation, but I didn't. Um, this is what confidence to me sounds like. This is a way where you can be confident without breaking the fourth wall and referencing the fans and speaking directly to them in this different way that they were doing before, especially on Volume 3. Um, but to me, like that's the thing. On Volume 3, they were like expressing a certain confidence, but they were doing it so directly that it felt gross and um, like... Like they were standing above you. Um, but this is just a confident song. Again, great songwriting. Single material. Uh, it feels really good. Uh, um, it's just a really great song. Uh, Critical Darling. So now we've got like, we're like five tracks in. If we count the interlude. And with this song, four of those tracks I think are really strong songs. Um, so Critical Darling, uh, when it does get soft here... Uh, it sounds very sincere, and the rest of it is just a ripping track. Um, it definitely just, again, is an example of the strong songwriting that they came in with on All Hope Is Gone that is mature, that is clean, and and, and I keep saying the word strong over and over and over again. Um, but it is skillful. It's just done very well. The songwriting, the quality of the structure is great, and I believe that it just... It just comes out on top. And this sets a great standard for like the first third of the album here. Um, but then again, we can only have that for so long when it comes to new Slipknot. A Liar's Funeral. This could be an acoustic track and it could be fine. I feel like the cleans ruin it. The execution of the cleans, just not good. When it gets hard, I, I do like the way that they express that heaviness in this song. Um, but then they do this harsh vocal, clean vocal call and response between Corey and himself is what it sounds like. And it just comes off really hokey. Um, it's like it's building nicely. And then the come down at the end of the song is like really sweet and like too sweet for me. And also just too sweet for what I think the song did effectively. But there's a lot of things here that are ineffective so again, this song just kind of falls on its face a bit, and either I don't want to say it doesn't need to be there because there are good parts to the song, but it's like if they had different versions of the song before. It's like it's like they had very many different versions, and they like cut and paste certain parts, and they were like, "Hey, this is a complete song. Let's just throw it out there." But the parts don't necessarily fit very well. Red flag. We got a strong start. Um, the chorus vocal patterning really leaves something to be desired, I feel. Um, it's like it's building to something that it doesn't get to. Again, it just doesn't get there. Um, it's better than most songs on the last album, uh, but that's not saying a lot. And set by the standard of the first tracks that we talked about that really were strong, this is not a really great song. It's, again, mediocre, which is not a good word when you attach to Slipknot. After Red Flag, we got What's Next? Nothing. Another unnecessary interlude. Spiders. Uh, there's some pretty cool instrumentation on this track, in some parts. Uh, and Corey completely ruins it. Completely ruins it. Um, the vocal patterning is very paint-by-numbers, which is 
Not a good thing to say about any band, let alone Slipknot. I mean, some bands just are that. That's all that they do. And they could do it successfully and play with the algorithm of song structure that feeds into the radio and people, um, you know, um, respond to just with the chemistry of music alone and certain structures that appeal and the time limits and whatever else. Anyway, uh, it feels like stock very stock and very popish um they tried to like make it it's like a band that didn't know how to make like they wanted to make something like kind of like creepy and dark and they were way too poppy to do it and way too insincere it's like they just jumped on the train of like yeah let's be creepy and dark they used to be creepy and dark they know how to do that in a sincere way at least they used to and they completely fell off that i feel like after the first two three albums it was like what are you doing like, you can't do this anymore for some reason. I don't know why, um, but it's just not working. And so, the, the spiders, spiders, spiders. Like, the spiders, like, chanting whisper thing, uh, it's really, really cringy. Super cringy. It's not creepy. It's not dark. It's not good. Uh, and even the lyrics on this, everyone's a little bit all the time thing. Come on, man. Ugh. Orphan. Uh, this brings us back a bit into some better songwriting. Uh, it's still a little under the standard they set from those first like couple tracks. Um, the chorus, the cleans on the chorus and the vocal patterning are kind of the worst parts of it. Uh, it's not a horrible song, uh, but it's kind of along the lines of Red Flag again, where it's like, yeah, this is this is okay, and that's weird. I don't I don't like doing that. Like this is okay when it comes to Slipknot. Um, my pain. I didn't think things would get worse than spiders, but uh, here we are. <laughs> um, it's slow, little, weird interlude, but it's not an interlude because it's drawn out to near seven minutes. It's a lot of clean, weird awkwardness that I don't know what it's supposed to be. Um, calling it my pain also is a little ineffective, lazy, shallow, accessible, poppy. I'm trying to bring back every freaking word I've used in a negative way that would describe this accurately and that is recognizable because this just doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. And to have a song last almost seven minutes that doesn't do anything, what a waste. Like cut the fat, right? Like, this is an experiment gone awry. This is not... The, the thing is, that this album has a lot of what I would say obvious experimentation. And they are successful in some of that. And then with a song like this, it's It's so, so left of center. And it is so off the rails when it comes to being successful. Um... Not long for this world. It's somber in a sincere way. It's a good song. Um, it is catchy. We haven't, I haven't really used that word for a bit. Uh, it's not too poppy. Uh, this little digital breakdown thing, again, where they're inserting that kind of sound effect and that type of tone, uh, I feel like it really works. Um, it's kind of towards the end there, and I feel like it's, it's, it's good. Uh, I wish they leaned into that more throughout the album, because uh, it does pop up here and there, and sometimes they try to insert it in, in like songs like Spiders and stuff, and it just doesn't work. 
Um, but they put it in here, and again, for a somber song, I feel like it's a good song. Um, not a lot more to say about it. And the final track, Solway Firth. It's a little weird intro, but I think it's self-aware. The way that Corey is expressing his vocals are like elongating certain vowels in a weird way with a certain um, inflection that's not a way he would ever naturally sing. It's like it seems self-aware in how awkward it is. Uh, so it doesn't bother me that much because I feel like it's very purposeful to kind of like set you off guard. And then it just comes in fucking ripping um, and just comes in so strong. Um, once it gets into it, the pummeling of the song is just unstoppable. Uh, it takes a little bit to get into it. And then but what, like, again, when it, when, it, when it does, once it does, trying to combine those two words together for some reason, uh, it's just, it's just a great freaking song. Um, the stop and start breakdown where the digital chiming comes in. Again, another great experimentation uh, that pays off. A great example of that. Um, so I'm glad that they end this album on a strong song. So I mean, this to me gives me like a total of like five songs, which is not even the entirety of the album, that are very strong. They're all strong in kind of the same kind of way though. And as I wrap up this album, I'm also wrapping up the whole discography review in a way. Because I want to go back to the first two albums. They had groupings. I made these groupings. Like, this is kind of like one of these type of songs. This is one of these type. And this is the... And there's like three or four different groupings, kind of. And sometimes they blurred the lines of each other, which was good. These songs almost seem to all be the same grouping. And they're all strong. And that's a problem. Because when I was grouping these songs over here, it wasn't about quality. It was about the feel of them. Whether it's like, oh, this is like a deep, dark, like, kind of creepy. We're like putting us in this uncomfortable place... Uh, and doing that really well versus like this is just a ripper this is just the most aggressive freaking song I've ever heard there was that kind of a group there was an anthemic type of group with the cleans um, and they kind of got out of that um, especially you know the past couple albums they those I, I, this is why I'm going in chronological order of the track listing because those groupings don't seem to be there there's groupings of like yeah these are kind of like trying to play with some soft stuff but it doesn't work and like the songs that are strong, they're almost all the same style. Like on All Hope Is Gone, it was kind of like that too, but there were more, I think there was more consistency there than the albums that came after it, including this. Now, they never said that I can recall, they never admitted or said that we are getting back to a place that we were, we're, we're trying to clean things up because the last album, The Great Chapter was a misstep. I think they'd be really afraid to call it a misstep because of the fact that it was supposed to be this tribute to Paul Gray. Maybe there's information there that I've missed. So call me out on that, please. But I just haven't seen it. Um, the things that I had seen before were like, yeah, we're coming in with a strong album. You say that every time. Everybody would want to say that every time that they're writing a really good album. But they would never say, we need to get back to form. We realize that we try to experiment in some ways that didn't pay off. Or our... our uh, vision was clouded. We were we shouldn't have made the album when we did. That was a huge misstep. Um, we tried some stuff and it just didn't work. Like I don't know. It just seems like, which is what I don't like is 
The thing is that I've mentioned before about Slipknot is that, you know, I don't necessarily feel like they've ever sold out. They do what they want to do and they stand behind what they want to do. And they set a precedent very early for we're doing what we want to do and we never thought that anyone would actually uh, resonate with this, um, this raw pain and this expression and, and this aggression and hate and everything else, right? Um, but they did. And once they did though, and that kind of caught on, then there was these things that they did. I don't know if it was label pressure, if it was whatever, but I mean, we got into more radio territory. Some of it was amazing and great. And I love those songs. And it's not just because it's more radio worthy or accessible that I don't like it. It's when they do it and it doesn't work. And that's a crappy thing to say. But I mean, as an artist, I, you know, that's a standard. It's like, yeah, you take gambles. You should be taking gambles and they do. And that's good. They push themselves in different directions and that's good. The problem is that sometimes it does not pay off enough. Um, not at all. And again, that's a problem. Like if half the album or more than half the album isn't working, then that's not a great standard for experimentation. Your, your ratio of success is way too one-sided. Um, so I, I feel like this album is trying to get back to this more songwriting place while they're trying to experiment at the same time. So to me, this would have been a logical next step after All Hope is Gone. The fact that they had this huge interruption of two forming members that were incredibly important to the band leave uh, through one method or another, another leave, um, is disruptive. But that's, it, it felt like it was disruptive and it felt inconsistent with the great chapter. If that album didn't exist and we just have All Hope is Gone, We Are Not Your Kind, that feels like a natural evolution. Albeit one that isn't very successful sometimes when they try to experiment too much or just in the wrong way or in the wrong direction. Um, so unfortunately, sometimes that, again, it, just, it doesn't pay off too much of the time. But that would feel more natural. The great chapter is, again, there's some good songs off there. There's songs that I listen to off there that I really enjoy. But as a whole, it just feels like this really awkward stutter step and trip and fall down the stairs. Um, I'm really curious as to what's next. I have not gotten to a point with Slipknot yet where I'm like, yeah, I'm just not buying that next album. Because um, I will do that sometimes. If, you know, a musical artist or a group that I enjoy has like two albums in a row that are like, like then usually I'm like, hey, I just can't go back to buying the albums. Um, but I'm not there yet with Slipknot. I, I, I'm, again, I'm really curious what's gonna happen on a seventh album, right? Um, and we've had another member change. I don't think it's as big of a deal because we lose Chris um, F, percussionist, and we have a new percussionist with Tortilla Man. I don't remember what they call him. Uh, I don't know. I don't think that really adds neither here nor there to, to anything with them. I haven't really seen it. Uh, but he's on that on this album, and oh, cool. And we've got you know this is the second album with having um, I forget his first name, but but uh, Max Weinberg's son uh, drumming. You know, living the dream, sitting in the throne of his his uh, his hero I guess uh, and and I feel like the drumming's great I just feel like um, I feel like the member changes that have happened obviously had to impact them on some level with that album and I feel like maybe this is them getting back on their feet with uh, We Are Not Your Kind 
again, the missteps are just too big to be ignored. But I guess if we want to be positive, we can hope for something. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just really difficult with that much inconsistency out of nowhere. And then the next album is, is, it is better. It is better than the one that came before it. So we have some positivity and hope. But I just don't know because I feel like we've got some distinct eras of Slipknot, which are good. The evolution, like I said, it, was, it seemed to flow naturally. Even when it wasn't good, it seemed like that that made sense that they did that until Grey Chapter and then um, I, just, I just don't think they should have made the album when they did. I, I guess that's what it comes down to for me. If I'm giving them uh, the benefit of the doubt, that would be the thing. Just you shouldn't have done the album when you did. You needed more time. Anyway, I don't really know what else to say. Uh, I still love Slipknot. I still think that they're a strong band, a unique band. I'm trying not to put any weight from what Corey's doing on his own time, or not his own time, but what he's doing away from Slipknot, I'm not, I don't want to like that stuff to cast a shadow over Slipknot. Um, he said many times before, and I used to believe him more than I do now, that like when he's in Slipknot, it is Slipknot. Like it is something you can't get away from. It's a force that pulls him back or every pulls everyone in the group back together. I feel like the myth of Slipknot is gone. I feel like the mystique is gone. I feel like they tried to get it back a little bit, uh, especially with We Are Not Your Kind, and it didn't really work because it's just, it's gone. So I don't feel like they are this entity that they used to be, um, they've gotten too big for that in a way. Um, and I mean, I think there's some bands that are top tier bands that can maintain that mystique. Slipknot lost it, and I think it was a huge part of their character that also reflected in the songwriting and the quality of the music, not just their image and the way that I feel about them, but all that goes together sometimes. And I feel like they really lost that. So I don't really know what else to say there. Um, so with that, we'll see you on another time.